0: Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As a Christian, you may be aware of the Bible imagery that's presented by the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the Ephesians. Now, in chapter 6, where he talks about the full armour of God. A conversation today around really one of those elements, although, you know, obviously one element is part of the whole armour, but the sword of the Spirit as one part of the armour of God. The Apostle Paul wrote, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Well, you may be familiar with the evangelism movement founded by Tony McClennan. It's called Australia for Jesus and the God Revolution. Well, Tony McLennan founded Australia for Jesus with a goal of raising up 10,000 effective soul winners all around Australia. Now, he's a former military officer. And so our focus today is around the idea of a military strategy. That may have shaped the words of the Apostle Paul, and what those thoughts might mean in strategic ways of maximising our outreach and our evangelism today. Tony McLennan, a special welcome back to 2020.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Neil. It's always a delight to be on the programme and to be associated with Vision Christian Media.
0: Hey, Tony, uh, before we get into uh, you know specifics around the sword of the spirits, uh, there's this idea that we're in a spiritual battle. You might not need weapons at all if there's no battle at all to be fought. What are your thoughts around the idea that we're in a spiritual battle?
1: Well, I decidedly, Neil, it's, a, it's a, a war for the hearts and minds of people, either those that are being uh, brought over into the works of uh, liberation theology and uh, cultural Marxism and uh, critical theory, all of those things which are being bandied about. Uh, I was just listening to something uh, from uh, another agency uh, just last night show how clearly uh, these uh, uh, contenders for the minds and hearts of people are working against all that which is Christian. And uh, I noticed an article by Peter Credlin in the newspaper the Sun-Herald over the weekend where she said that uh, Uh, we've forsaken Christianity and we've forgotten our history. Uh, So there's a lot uh, that we need to contend with and I think that the saints generally in Australia are becoming very alert to the fact that a very concerted effort is being made to rob us of our inheritance in Christ.
0: Tony, what about the idea of there being an enemy uh, because we like to think we live in peacetime, here we are in Australia, everybody's friendly aren't they? Uh, multicultural society well you know there are some things that are breaking down in all of that but there's a certain sense here in which Christians recognise that there, if there is a battle then there must be an enemy uh, what are your thoughts on the idea of an enemy and, uh, and the fact that you know we're in a battle and therefore uh, need to recognise some of these thoughts even uh, from your own military ideas about uh, you know how you approach these things in defending yourself
1: yeah well the enemy has primarily manifested himself through a series of revolutions we've had in australia since the 60s we've had the sexual revolution we've had the socialist revolution we've had a secular humanist revolution and so these ideas which are contrary they're anti-christian they're they're yielded up by the spirit of antichrist that's the the enemy has been very clever. He has insinuated himself into our within our borders. He's not a foreign enemy, like an enemy of war, but it's a war of ideas and a war of beliefs to seduce people away from the saving power of the gospel of Christ. And it's absolutely uh, devastating to the nation. It's having an impact on marriage statistics, having an impact on suicide statistics. Uh, the uh, marriages, as, as I mentioned, are, are being vastly impacted but uh, relationships everywhere are being disturbed by this and then of course we get all of the unrest that it's being stirred up as well where people are trying to impose an anarchistic uh, value system upon our nation and uh, this is just a terrible thing uh, you know things like uh, you know uh, homosexual marriage or uh, uh, you know euthanasia uh, safe schools all those things are just symptoms of this attempt, usually uh, fomented by the left uh, to impose upon our people uh, a new way of thinking. I've even heard it described as a new humanism, but it's really the old humanism dressed in another form. So uh, this is having a terrible effect and you know, with church attendance broadly as reported in the Eternity newspaper about 6.5% compared to much higher percentages, we know that there's been a real and successful revolution of unrighteousness upon the Church of God in Australia and upon the Australian people generally.
0: So we've got the concept of a battle. Uh, we've got the idea that there is an enemy. And uh, there's an interesting other twist as we lay a foundation for the sort of conversation that's ahead this coming hour. Uh, the idea that, uh, that there is spiritual weapons that might look different to the idea of you know what we might think of a modern soldier uh, picking up a rifle uh, or having all sorts of other weaponry. Uh, that these are different sorts of weapons. but uh, but you know I, I reflect on Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 for the for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places sometimes uh, with all of those different uh, elements in what Paul is writing there Tony sometimes uh, you know people like to interpret that as only a spiritual battle but there seems to be a lot more to that passage I wonder whether you've got any thoughts on that
1: Yes I do look uh, if you if you look at wartime activities and, you know, I've, done any, I've been a student of military history over the years and particularly when I was at the Royal Military College at Duntroon and I was there from 68 to 71. And um, I have many of my friends actually became very senior officers in the army over that period of time. And uh, one of the things we, we learned about is that uh, the Allies were actively engaged in a strategic bombing of Western Europe in order to prepare for, fundamentally for an invasion but they knew they had to actually invade and take control of the actual ground and uh, take possession of the land. Uh, otherwise, uh, Hitler and his gang would have continued to completely hold uh, the world to ransom. So there is an potentiality of having boots on the ground, and that's an analogy that we can pick up on because I was holding a Zoom meeting just recently, Neil, where one of uh, the members of the Australia for Jesus team in Melbourne, Stephen Laird, made the point that this is the first ministry that's involved in evangelism that actually has emphasised the importance of engaging people with the actual gospel on the ground. Uh, Not just putting things in letterboxes, although that can be a good thing, not just handing out tracts, even though that's a good thing, but actually engaging people with the gospel. So this is akin to the notion that Paul is referring to, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The sword is a close range infantry type of weapon. And uh, even though it sounds a bit gruesome from us being spiritual people and people who love peace and love walking in love, uh, there is an engagement factor associated with uh, the gospel. The gospel has to be communicated at close quarters, it just can't be a glancing blow you, you, you know, you have the shield of faith but the sword of the spirit uh, is is critical to success and I think I gave you in an earlier conversation an example of this, the Roman army was uh, extremely effective at maintaining its borders for a good probably 600 maybe 700 years which is extraordinary in itself and uh, it had such discipline Neil, that were so potent that even greatly superior numbers of forces couldn't defeat them. Uh, So you might want to explore that thought a bit further or you might want to take the conversation in a different direction. But let's uh, let's hear from you, Neil.
0: Well, no, let's take this uh, right into the idea of the Roman army because when we think of the Apostle Paul writing these words in the first century, And his thoughts about what the Sword of the Spirit might be. And as you say, uh, the sword was a close range weapon. And uh, with your modern. Uh, idea of military strategy as a former army officer uh, you've got your own thoughts on on how military tactics and how those sorts of strategies are important and even the sort of weapons that might be in the hands of the soldier Uh, so you take us uh, into this this roman army idea and the close range weapon the sword of the spirit uh, as in the sword used by a roman army soldier Uh, take us into that tony
1: Okay, thanks very much. look uh, Neil, before we look at how Paul saw the Roman soldier himself, or indeed the Roman army, we need to look at how the New Testament, prior to Paul's epistles, referred to certain Roman military figures. In the words of Field Marshal Bernard Montgomery of Alamein, in his seminal book, it's called The Path to Leadership, and it was a central reading when I was at military college. He gives treatment to Christian virtues in terms of leadership in the business of war. And he makes the point that there is a a law of love which is binding on every Christian. And he states, the Bible serves to show that the matter, warfare or pacifism, is not quite so simple as some seem to think. Of whom did Christ say, I've not found so great faith, no, not in all of Israel? And who, looking up at the cross, said, truly, this was the Son of God in both cases, Montgomery said it was a Roman soldier a Centurion or Roman army captain so the the tenor of the the Gospels towards soldiers even though we know that soldiers did do ugly things and they're recorded on, on those and I'll comment on that a bit later principally principally the comment about the military was in favorable light. you know we've, we we know the story of the Centurion and again the uh, Montgomery, just to talk about him, he he was the son of a Tasmanian bishop. I don't know if you knew that, Neil.
0: Yeah, I knew that uh, that uh, Australian connection was there, certainly.
1: Yeah, and uh, he grew up in Northern Ireland as well. And he was, was, in a very real sense, one of the most, if not the most successful general involved in the Second World War in the European campaigns. He was up against a formidable foe who had trounced several other generals. And uh, he uh, ended up becoming a commander in North Africa. And at the Battle of Al- Alamein, which is a very famous battle, it became the turning point of the war in that theatre. And uh, actually in his orders, he wrote at the end of his orders, uh, may the Lord mighty in battle give us the victory from Psalm 24 verse 8. So getting back to the Roman soldiery and continuing Montgomery's line of question of who saved Paul from the mob it was a Roman tribune with centurions and soldiers. So Paul had been, was rescued from being severely beaten up and possibly killed by the mob there in Jerusalem. And again in Acts 27, uh, when the shipwreck was taking place off the coast of Malta, very desperate situation, uh, the soldiers would normally put to death the prisoners so that they couldn't escape even off the shipwreck in that dire circumstance. The centurion Julius actually prevented the soldiers from killing Paul and the other prisoners and obviously under the leading of God even though probably Julius didn't know that. and then when Paul ended up in Rome uh, he was he was um, delivered not into the hand of the another centurion by, to, uh, by the centurion to the captain of the guard he was delivered allowed to live by himself with only one soldier to guard him. so it was a favor that God somehow put upon the Roman soldiery, Look after Paul which is remarkable and if we look at uh, Cornelius himself a Roman army centurion in Caesarea he was a devout man and he called Peter the leading God and he and his household received the word of God with great joy so you can see that the the address, the items that come into the New Testament that address the role of a soldier, are not all unfavourable at all. In fact, uh, John the Baptist, when the soldiers asked him, what shall we do, when he was telling everyone to repent, he said, don't take money by force, don't do violence to people, don't extort money, but be content with your pay. If if he didn't want them to be soldiers, John the Baptist would have said, leave the army and lay down your weapons, but he didn't. So so there's a bit of a picture of the overall New Testament flavour
0: Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson, a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Wonderful to have you with us, Tony McLennan, our guest. We're talking about the sword of the spirit. You can have your say, 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. And it'd be good to take as many calls as we can today. Let's take a call. Greg is waiting patiently. Hi, Greg. Welcome along. Hello, Greg, what are your thoughts? I think it's a a, a a defensive weapon yep um because it's hello you there yes
2: uh because it's um the the battle's in the mind you know you get the sexually immoral or the hom- or the homosexual or the um the uh thief or the drug addict or anything or the alcoholic or anything like that. The battle's in the mind you know the the sword of the lord is used against that you know and it's only offensive when you throw it at people in the streets, you know, and that sort of thing. Uh,
0: great accusing thoughts and of, of being wrong, immoral, yep. and that sort of thing. Greg, let's get a thought from Tony. Uh, I think the uh, the powerful thing that Greg is sharing here, Tony, is this idea that the battle often is happening in the mind. Uh, what are your thoughts for Greg? Well, it's only going to
1: happen in the mind if, of course, there is an entrance to the Word of God. Uh, the Bible says that the entrance of your word gives light, it gives understanding to the simple. So there's a sense where the word of God has got to enter and of course in the book of Hebrews it talks about the sword going in and dividing asunder between the soul and the spirit, these thoughts and the intents of the heart. And that sword of the spirit is actually on an offensive weapon and uh, all of the rest of the armour and the shield are defensive in character but the sword is meant to go in. It's meant to be offered to the enemy in a very aggressive way. Now, I'm not saying that we necessarily need to go about offering the gospel in an aggressive way, but I'm just saying that the sword must go in. And I'll give you an example of this, Neil. I I remember some years ago taking a young couple in Adelaide out to dinner, uh, and uh, I saw some potential. I was a management consultant at the time. I saw some potential in this young man for uh, business, and so we were out at dinner, and... uh, I, um, <clears throat> I offered uh, the gospel for dessert uh, after having, I thought I would paid for the meal, and so I shared my testimony in the gospel. Uh, and both of them pushed back and said, Look, they didn't want to, that, you know, they was happy for me and so forth. Now, subsequent to that, I was walking along King William Street in Adelaide with this young man the following morning, and he was talking about, you know, a sort of compromised lifestyle, you know, a little bit of the shades of grey, there's no black and white. And I simply said to him, God is light, and in him there is no shade nor shadow returning. I said, you can't be shades of grey with God. You're either white or black. You can't stay in darkness. And it's the Holy Spirit who helps you out of darkness. So I said that, and then we parted company. I went back to Sydney. He eventually joined me in Sydney, and subsequently uh, the Lord visited him in a special way. He came under great conviction, confessed his sins, uh, left that terrible lifestyle that he was in, and live for the Lord, and is living for the Lord to this day. That happened in 1996. Now, uh, he testifies that it really began when I said, uh, use those words from the scripture, uh, when I said that God is light and in him there's no shade nor shadow of turning, there's no darkness in him. That got through to him and he realized that his life was a life of ruin and compromise, and he recited that later. So the word of God has to go in, the sword has to go in, The sword that uh, Jesus talks about in Revelation is the sword that proceeds out of his mouth. A lot more to be said about that, but it is definitely an offensive weapon. And it will offend, unfortunately. It will offend.
0: Right. Thank you so much to Greg for your insight today. Our talkback line open on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. 316 316 Before we move on, let's take another call. Erica is on the line from the Gold Coast in Queensland. Hi, Erica. Welcome.
3: Thank you. Well... Here is another comment, which is that the sword can be a defensive weapon in that it comforts me to know I am not only protected by all the other parts of the armor of God, but also, yes, it can be an offensive weapon. I don't necessarily quote chapter and verse to people who are not um, versed in the word, but Um, rather than just going to God and saying, God, do this for me and do that for me, and I'm bringing before you all these people. Um, God, I'm really in nappies asking you to look after me. I believe... Sorry if that's too strong for you. Um, I believe I go and use the word as Jesus Christ used the word, and he's given me authority so I do come against principalities, powers, rulers of the air that are affecting peop- people who are not yet Jesuses and even people who say they belong to Jesus.
0: There. Good thoughts, comments. Erica. And uh, let's get a response here from Tony. Your, your thoughts for Erica?
1: So I think that Erica's got in mind that when Jesus spoke to Satan when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, He used the word three times to defeat the temptation of the devil. That's not a defensive weapon. That's an offensive weapon which neutralizes the devil's counsel. And, of course, when Eric is pronouncing the word of God over a situation, uh, making it very much a godly confession, that authority goes with it and, of course, will bring changes to that situation. What I'm referring to is the gospel of God, the gospel of the Lord Jesus, in our hands and uh, that, that the sword of the spirit here should also be seen particularly as the, the revelation or the pronouncement or the proclamation of how you can be saved to those which are not saved. And I'm just saying that the reason that we're losing the battle against the culture wars in Australia is that Christians generally are using every other means other than the sword to try and uh, win over their culture. They're trying the means of social justice. They're trying the means of, of apologetics. They're trying the means of uh, uh, doing good to their neighbor, all of which are good, all of which are good, and we shouldn't resile from them. But the reality is that Jesus said, I want you to speak my word into the hearts of people. Go and make disciples. Go and preach the gospel. And that's where the sword of a spirit engages with people very Closely. I will give you a, an example from Roman army tactics if you want to hear about it in due course, Neil, during yep. our conversation.
0: Yep. Okay, well I do certainly want to get into those Roman army tactics and what they might mean for us today. But let me say thank you so much to Erica from the Gold Coast. Thanks for your input today, Erica. Just before we get into Roman army tactics here, let me just ask you about this idea when we talk about a defensive weapon or an offensive weapon, that word offensive, (laughs) that's as you say, sometimes people will be offended, that's that's a different uh, expression here. When we talk about weapons, a defensive weapon or an offensive weapon, I think somehow we're afraid of the idea of aggression, and i wonder whether there's another way to frame this idea of the christian believer being aggressive you broached that tony but the idea of being assertive seems to be a lot more palatable than the idea of aggression it makes us sound like a whole bunch of violent fanatics if we're going to be offensive and aggressive what are your thoughts here for the way we look at that sort of word
1: yeah i mean the gospel is a ministry of love you know we're sharing the good news out of uh, joy in our own hearts and a testimony of salvation in our own hearts with others. And we can only speak to those who are listening, it's not a shouting match or anything like that. And one of the earlier commentators spoke about going on the streets, well what Australia for Jesus does, it helps to school and to skill the soul winner by helping that person engage with people at random on the street. As a starter, That may backfeed into their closer personal relationships in due course. And that's what we do do find. But uh, what we feel is that the general populace in Australia need to hear the word of God succinctly. That is how to be saved. We can't wait for them all to get into churches. Uh, if we go that 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 way, we will see uh, no great success. But if we go to the people and we share with those who will listen, and that's how the sword of the Spirit actually enters into people's hearts. It's a close-range weapon, the sword. And uh, you'll notice it's juxtaposed uh, with the shield. So the shield of faith presses out first, and then the sword follows. And um, I might comment on it a little bit later, but uh, there is no sword in the land in Israel as recorded in 1 Samuel 13, and that's worth commenting on. Neil, when you're ready to
0: do so. Okay. I really want to get into that imagery around the Roman soldiers and how they move forward. Uh, but let's uh, just a couple let's of minutes. It. Listen, we're only a couple of minutes out from news. Let's take one more quick call. Uh, Jonathan from WA on the line. Hi, Jonathan.
2: Yes. Uh, as I look at the, the offensive part, it is even uh, you are not aggressive. But the gospel message by it's a, it's an offense to those who don't want to hear it, no matter how you trace it, no matter how you do solve it softly, because it's against their 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 flesh their desire because men want to have freedom to do everything they want to do, so if you're preaching the truth, it' always offensive to them, so no matter how you dress it, you are in the offense we I, are not defending ourselves, yep. because. If we defend ourselves, we are inaggressive. I'm talking about weapon. But Christ never defended himself. He spoke the truth. And we Christians have to speak the truth. That's all. And we are not deceived. Because the gate of hell will not prevail over the church. It might be ILO, but not the church.
0: Jonathan, thanks so much for those insights. Uh, There is a sense here in which that word offensive uh, can be taken two ways. It's a different sort of a context, isn't it, when we talk about this uh, sword of the Spirit as an offensive weapon. Uh, Yes, whenever Mm -hmm. truth is presented, there are going to be those who disagree, who will think that you are being offensive as in ways of they feel offended that's a different sort of idea to the idea of an offensive weapon which is a weapon that is used to move forward rather than just to hold back a quick response here for jonathan just about to go to news
1: yes uh, look uh, jonathan is right it can people can get offended but what we're finding and jonathan will be delighted to hear this i'm sure that with the australia for jesus movement which has been much encouraged by vision christian Media. Uh, what we have found is that one in five people we approach at random will readily look at the way of life presentation on our mobile phones or on, on, in print form.
0: Let's talk about, and you might have just create a uh, uh, an image here of what Roman soldiers looked like as they were moving forward in unison. Give us some outline here.
1: Yes, without getting into too much detail, Uh, about uh, Roman army tactics which were very considerably, very highly organized Uh, just imagine that a Roman army soldier he has his shield, he has his helmet, he has his breastplate, he has his loins girt about uh, with uh, protective uh, leather straps he has uh, feet uh, shod uh, so that he can march long distances Uh, but if you have all of those things and don't have the sword you have an absolutely useless soldier and uh, I'm mindful, Neil, of the Battle of Watling Street, which took place around about 61 AD uh, in Britain, uh, when Queen Boadicea, or Queen Boudicca, as she's better known, uh, led a rebellion against the Romans. She'd been very badly treated by some of the Romans, and so she led a a rebellion which just made uh, a complete waste of London, uh, destroyed two Roman legions, and the Emperor Nero at the time was going to... Uh, withdraw all Roman influence from Britannia or Britain as we know it at that time. So that's how bad it was. And she had a force of something up to about three hundred thousand in her force. Uh, a Roman army legion is about five or six thousand, and uh, and uh, she'd actually wiped the floor with one of those Roman army legions. Anyway, uh, there was one general, uh, Gaius Suetonius Paulinus, who was the governor of Britannia at the time, and he. Uh, took her on in a valley, a narrowing valley where he had trees behind him, and she assembled her great force, probably about at that time two hundred fifty thousand, two hundred seventy thousand, against him. So it was a hopeless case, ten thousand against two hundred seventy thousand. And uh, the the historian Tacitus re- records this battle in great detail, and of course it's well supported by other events at the time that the the enemy, that is the 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 Britons, the Iceni tribes, and the other tribes that. Uh, had been gathered by Boudicca to wipe the floor with the Romans to get rid of them totally. They threw themselves on the Romans. All the Romans did was they, they just pressed forward with their shield and the sword came out parallel to the shield and they did it like a lawnmower. And they just went through those 300,000 and left seventy to 80,000 dead on the battlefield to recorded uh, loss of the Romans of about 400. And what are we trying to point out to? It was an orderly response to a very undisciplined but very ferocious enemy, uh, and that same tactic was repeated many, many times, whether it was by Julius Caesar, whether it was by Crassus against Spartacus. These, these battles showed the efficacy of the sword, and without the sword, if you take that analogy over to Paul's example, that's why he ends up with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's the thing the Christian must carry forward into this battle. And we're not seeing that in any great measure, Neil. We're not seeing Christians using the sword. They've got their sword in their scabbard. They're hiding behind the shield of faith. Well, you've got to get out there and actually share that. You don't have to be offensive in doing it. You don't have to be rude or anything like that. Just invite people uh, to have a look at the gospel that you've got on your mobile phone. That can be one way we can convey it, or it can be a little book that we might use.
0: Well, so Tony... It's
1: a great range weapon, the sword.
0: <laughs> to talk about those Roman soldiers moving forward... Uh, love yes. your uh, Aussie imagery in there, a little bit like a lawnmower, and yes, uh, an I- orderly I- response to a ferocious enemy. And uh, we all know how uh, how when the uh, when the gra- the grass is growing uh, that uh, you need to rip through that. But but the idea of this individualism that we tend to have today and the thought that uh, the responsibility is all on my shoulders. And, hey, whenever they're talking about evangelism, we're talking about that personal responsibility that we take. But but uh, here we are talking about moving in unison and this idea that, uh, you know, you've had this goal for years of raising up a uh, an army, let me just use the word army, of uh, 10,000 effective evangelists. Uh, this idea uh, is a little bit like... Uh, you know, this idea of military tactics, uh, raising up an army with people who are uh, able to use the shield and the sword in unison, the defensive, the offensive, uh, that's a powerful thought. Uh, just give us a little update on, on, uh, on those sorts of numbers because uh, uh, every time we talk, I usually get a, an update on, on numbers and, of course, uh, COVID-19 is going to have had an effect on, on things the way you've been moving forward, but how do things look with your uh, your God Revolution 10,000 goal?
1: Well, it's absolutely amazing, and it hasn't just been my idea at all. You know, God puts these things in your hearts, and, of course, I have a co-founder, Jordan Mullen, uh, who operates a lot behind the scenes. And uh, uh, we have teams all across Australia. And just to give you an idea, in November we had 43 teams go out on 43 campaigns, share the gospel on the streets of our various mainland cities in Australia and uh, various other centres as well, And each of those campaigns would yield 2.5 sinners' prayers per campaign. Some more, some less. And that means every two campaigns, you'd have five sinners' prayers. So if you had 43, you'd have well over 100 decisions for Christ that have been recorded at that time. Now, we know that a sinner's prayer is not everything, but I've traced many, many people who have come to Christ, and all of them have said to me pretty well that it began by their praying the sinner's prayer once they'd be convinced of the power of the gospel. So people on the streets are being met. They're not flippant sinner's prayers. People are praying earnestly. It was just wonderful when my wife and I were out at Chatswood recently and three young people at different times, they prayed most sincerely to invite Jesus into their lives. So we've had, uh, of the 525 campaigns, which involves something like about 5,000 or more partial or full presentations of the gospel, that is, 5,000 or more attempts to show forth the sword of the Spirit, so the cleave between the intents and thoughts of the heart, the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit, Uh, that word of God has penetrated to the extent that about 1,350 sinner's prayers have been uttered. And we're seeing significant numbers of people coming into churches or being involved subsequently with the soul winners that are out there, Uh, more to be done in that space, but of course, of the 6,000 people who have signed on to australiaforjesus.org.au, uh, only a small proportion of those, perhaps about three to 500, are uh, actually involved in the campaigns in any form at all. But those that do always come back with great joy because they're involved in praying for the lost, then presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ in a compassionate, cl- clear, complete, compelling way, not in a forceful way, but in a clear and compelling way, so people have the opportunity to respond. And then we parent spiritually to those who come to faith.
0: Great. Hey, we've been asking listeners, Tony, do you think the sword of the Spirit as part of the armour of God is a defensive or offensive weapon? And uh, there's been some responses. And let me just reflect uh, for a moment as to how the poll percentages have evolved over this hour. Uh, it started off being fairly even, and uh, the defensive position was fifty-four percent, offensive forty-six. But as things have developed, and more and more listeners have cast their vote, it moved to sixty-one percent uh, to thirty-nine percent defensive, uh, offensive rather. And uh, and at the present time, uh, we're talking sixty-two percent defensive and thirty-eight percent offensive. Now I think that we've been talking about uh, both obviously the sword is defensive and offensive but I think we've been talking about the sword of the spirit more as an offensive weapon. So we've got listeners who might be uh, at this point uh, two-thirds saying no defensive uh, and only a third saying offensive. I wonder Mm -hmm. whether that might be reflective uh, in the way that there's a tendency uh, to in some ways – uh, you know, uh, not be out on the front foot, but rather see a defense of Christian faith as being something you're on the back foot and always sort of fighting off people who uh, who are attacking uh, the, the Christian faith. What are your thoughts around that idea here and perhaps uh, what listeners are, are referring to when they actually give us some real-time thoughts as to, as to how they're feeling about that question?
1: Well, obviously people can trip over the word offensive and think that we're going around offending people. Of course, that is not the case. What we're doing is talking to anyone who will listen and sharing the gospel with them. And it's just amazing to see, in my own experience, people have come to the Lord. And the sort of support we've had from such churches as Life Source Christian Church, Scots Church in Melbourne, Scott's Church in Sydney, Ann Street uh, Presbyterian Church in Brisbane and others where our people have gone out in the street and just gently shared the gospel with people, whoever will listen. And uh, I could I could pick up on J.C. Ryle. You've probably heard of J.C. Ryle. He yeah. was a bishop in the Anglican Church in the 1800s. He wrote a little book called The Agency That Transformed a Nation, and he brings it down to the fact it wasn't the church of its day, it wasn't the dissenters. He said that the Anglican Church at the time, the Church of England, would probably have died of dignity and sunk at her anchors, but it was people who went out, evangelists, soul winners, went out everywhere preaching. The sword which St. Paul wielded with such mighty effect when he assaulted the strongholds of heathenism in the first century was the same sword by which they won their victories. So he has no difficulty recognising that the sword is a weapon of warfare whereby we win the victory. We don't win the victory with the shield. We don't win the victory with the the, the helmet of salvation. We don't win the victory, and we sustain the victory with those things, but we only win new ground with the sword, and that's presenting the gospel. And uh, we've seen uh, great fruitfulness in this, great fruitfulness everywhere I've gone, even moribund churches, Neil, moribund meaning dying dead or about to be buried, have actually seen new shoots of growth as a result of people actually getting off their blessed assurance and actually sharing the gospel with people. It's been amazing, and we want to communicate that to others. By the way, when we talk about an army, let's be very real about this. Let's be very about The Bible says the Lord is a man of war. Let's also recognize that in the history of the church armies have been raised up there's been a very very potent group that still operates to this day called the Salvation Army and within the Anglican Church the Church Army so let's let's realize that we have a battle we have an enemy and we can overcome with the sword of the Spirit and Jesus himself uses this word he calls us to offer the keys to set people free from sin's bondage and the key of eternal life through the operation of the Spirit what does he say In the book of Revelation, and out of his mouth went a sharp two edged sword, and his face shone like the sun in its full strength. Behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and I have the keys of hell and of death. The sharp two edged sword, the sword of the Spirit, is the word of God, and when it falls upon the ears of those whom God is preparing by his Spirit, they'll come alive. Uh, in christ and i've seen it time and time and time again neil and i believe it's time for our people in australia to get about using the sword of the spirit they've still got it in their scabbard
0: okay. we can do
1: something about that all
0: right we're taking calls one eight hundred 316 let's take another one diana is on the line from victor harbour in south australia hi diana welcome good, good morning diana what are your thoughts
4: yeah, I've just been listening to the um, talk back and, yeah, there's a couple of um, things that I'd just like to um, say. Um, you mentioned, you know, like, is the sort of the spirit um, defensive or offensive? Was that right?
0: Yeah, that's it, yep.
4: Yeah, well, the way I see it is that um, when we take up the whole armour of God, um, in order to actually stand against the forces, the armour is, like, not just defensive. It's also uh, used for taking the offensive against, well, because we're dealing with satanic forces, virtually. That's yeah. right.
0: And uh, and that's a great point and uh, one that I think has been uh, sort of argued a little bit over this hour and uh, a good point to make there. Did you, you said you had another thing to share, Diana?
4: Yeah, well, what I'm seeing in um, some of the conversations is that, you know, we all viewed uh, things differently in our walk with the Lord, uh, but really um, once we become born again, where our battle is against, you know, Satan, really,
0: and and of course, uh, when we talk about I'm the battle, probably putting this yep. right because uh, I'm
4: on radio, but yep. I'm getting uh, a bit. Nervous you know, about,
0: you're absolutely right, and uh, sometimes yeah. we're afraid to talk about Satan or demons or deception and those things that are happening. But of course, those things that might be happening spiritually have their. Uh, have their flesh and blood out working and there are attacks that are coming against the Christian church. Uh, A a thought or two here, Tony, the idea that, uh, you know, that uh, that there is an attack against the church, that it does emanate first from Satan and that there are such things as demons. But uh, a quick response here, Tony, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, I think Diane's absolutely right. It is uh, primarily an offensive weapon, the sword. And uh, that is the word of God in our hands. And if we go back to 1 Samuel 13, I'll comment on this a bit further, Uh, there was no sword in the land. And that's what you're seeing in Australia. uh, When I was uh, CEO of a particularly large um, Bible distribution agency, I'd go around Australia and pastors everywhere would welcome me to talk to their people about becoming soul winners. Uh, But it's interesting, I could talk to a 1,000 people and then... Uh, when it came to going out in the streets to give the sword in their hand an opportunity to operate, uh, very few would turn up. But I'm glad to say that trend is trending away from that because God is awakening more and more people to want to become involved, either with Australia for Jesus or other other gospel initiatives. But I think that we've soft-soaked too much, uh, Neil, and I think that uh, certainly there's a weapon against Satan himself where we declare the word of God over him and tell him where to get off. But there's a sense in which this, the word, when we utter it to others, it goes deep into the heart and brings a reaction. It brings a response. And uh, I've noticed that. There was there was one young man over in Perth. Uh, I know that Diane's over from Adelaide, I believe, or over in South Australia, but over in Perth. And I remember sharing uh, the way of life presentation with him straight from my mobile phone. And a friend of mine, Bernie, was there at the time. And this guy didn't want to pray. He didn't want to acknowledge that his belief was in Jesus. He was agnostic, toying with atheism. But six months later, the Lord spoke to him at night and told him to get up and pray. And uh, he sought around for a copy of the the, the sinner's prayer that I'd referred to. And he and his wife, uh, his wife was already a Christian. His wife led him to the Lord. And the light came on. You should see the picture of this guy, the before and after picture, It's like a man had come alive. And that's because the entrance of God's word into his heart had given him life. And I'm just saying that uh, the reason for the lack of uh, vibrant Christianity in Australia is we're concentrating on everything else except using the sword of the Spirit.
0: Okay. Thank you so much to Diana for your call. Uh, Let's just take one more quick one. Uh, Chris in Victoria. Welcome along, Chris. Uh, Good morning, Neil and uh, Tony. Yeah, um, uh, ever since
2: John the Baptist, the uh, kingdom of heaven has been advancing forcefully and the violent take it by force. So the sword is primarily um, an offensive weapon that becomes your defense anyway because if you use the sword of the spirit and you tell the devil, no weapon formed against me shall prosper, uh, you know, he's taken a back, he takes a backward step. And then if you believe it in faith, you know, that's your shield he can't. He can't do nothing much to touch you. So you know he knows that you believe it, no matter what happens. So it is an offensive weapon, but it becomes your defence straight away.
0: Chris, good thought. Thank you so much for your call. One. Well, I can't. I won't be able to take any more calls. Except, let me just say, uh, I think we've got uh, we've got one more. No, I don't think we've got. Uh I don't think I can take uh, this last call. No, we can't take. Uh, we were going to take one from Pastor Solomon just quickly. We've run out of time here, Tony. And uh, I know that uh, you're still interested in hearing from people who want to learn how to get on the front foot, uh, to learn how to be a effective evangelist. Uh, you've got a goal mm-hmm. of raising up 10,000 evangelists uh, you're still short of those numbers but then you've got a strategy over a number of years and uh, for people to be in touch with you now i imagine that the best website to go to is australiaforjesus.org.au and uh, so when someone goes there and says okay i'll be one of these 10,000 uh, what do you want me to be learning what do you want people to to learn quickly
1: well, how to actually present the gospel? How to pray for the lost? How to present the good news, and how to parent spiritually those who come to faith? That's our objective. And look, uh, even today, I've got a group over in Bunbury in WA that's uh, actually going to be running a Zoom meeting. And if anyone wants to send me at Tony at just an inquiry, I can put them onto that so that they can tap into a Zoom meeting that already. But look, uh, afj.org.au, www.afj.org.au is a very, very good opportunity for people to find out where we're at. And look, we're Christians of every denomination, Neil—every you know, traditional, Pentecostal, evangelical, um, and uh, other others I haven't got a description for—house churches. A whole lot of people are getting involved in this, and it's absolutely amazing. It is a work of the Holy Spirit.
0: Well, let me encourage people to go to afj.org.au. That's Australia for Jesus, afj.org.au and uh, it's an interesting one and one to be prayerful about because there is a certain sense in which uh, I know this is on your heart Tony uh, that you know we don't want to be caught napping. Uh, there is a certain sense in which God has called us to be a part of uh, what is a movement. Uh, movement of Christian believers. And uh, I did like your lawnmower illustration, the way that the uh, Roman army tended to move like a lawnmower and uh, an orderly response uh, to a ferocious enemy. Uh, really powerful illustrations through this past hour. afj.org.au. You can be one of those 10,000 uh, that uh, that is uh, being raised up, effective soul winners around Australia. Tony, great getting your insights once again. Thanks so much for taking some time to share those thoughts with us today on 2020.
1: Oh, it's delightful to be with you, Neil, and delightful to work with people of kindred spirit and to hear the responses from people out there who really care about our nation, Australia. Let's pray for our beloved nation. Let's stand up for it. Let's not stand for the devil's work. Let's uh, see that he is opposed and brought to a finish uh, as we enter in and share the gospel, which is the sword of the spirit.
0: And I'll encourage listeners, uh, if you go on to that Facebook question today, there is a poll there. The question that's asked is, do you think the sword of the Spirit as part of the armour of God is a defensive or offensive weapon? You can cast your vote on that poll. But my encouragement is to engage with other listeners in the conversation there. And uh, I know that everyone listening to this program only ever does that courteously. And uh, so engage with other listeners and have a great conversation on that Facebook post. Tony, thank you so much for taking that time to share these thoughts with us today on 2020.
4: Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find
0: out more about us,
4: go to vision.org.au.